The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. Oops, oops, oops. <laughs> you are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Well, welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and to my left is Billy Eye Candy Kimsey. Hello. Hey. Billy. No special candy joke tonight. <laughs> I've surprised him because we, we're going to be doing so many shows, he's not prepared for it. And when this humidity, it, the candy just kind of just kind of kind of just melts. It, yeah. it has a shelf. I off. don't want to hear humidity. Come to Spartanburg. <laughs> oh, that's true. Columbia, right? right? Oh, yeah. I don't that's want to hear humility. <laughs> oh, big daddy. God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Straight out of Compton, Ralph Hicks. I represent. Behind the glass, Rocket Man, Andy Bishop. And to my right, wearing her Even Andy shirt, the edge, Sarita. Hey, y'all. Hey. Miss y'all. It's so nice. We don't have Cherry tonight. Yeah, nice, you too. Cherry's at VBS. Um, haven't heard from Josh lately. I'm not really sure what he's doing, but I'll, I'll reach out to him here pretty soon. Um, guys, last week, uh, you probably heard uh, the swap cast that we did uh, with Michael Moyano. I released two of them from the Power of Preterism Network. Uh, the first one was my testimony, and then the second one that we did was when we talked about the Berean Bible Church. That was a really cool conversation. Yep. And um, so if you guys have heard that t- today, what you guys are going to hear, uh, we went down to Berean Bible Church. It was me and Rick Carter and uh, Cherry Lewis uh, and her husband, Rodney, and my wife, Holly. We all went down. Yeah, we had a good trip. Yeah, it was awesome. And um, this testimony uh, tonight, I'm going to go ahead and give you guys a, a warning uh, this is a very shocking um, and very, um, it's it's beautiful, but it's sad, it's uplifting, it's tragic, yeah. it's got a little bit of everything. It is. And um, If you got little ones, don't play it loud for them. That Yeah, please don't. I, I would suggest not having children uh, listen to this, not because of language, but because of the content. Um, Amy Castillo... Uh, I got to meet her for the first time. I heard awesome a lot about lady. her. Yeah, very awesome lady. Um, a situation that she was put into uh, that radically changed her life. Um, afterwards, shocked the country. And also, uh, she was on Larry King Live, you know, and yeah, talked about this. Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil. Even though I tried to look for that episode, I couldn't seem to find it. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, had, I didn't see it either. I only saw the transcripts from the Larry King one. So. Gotcha. But um, got to meet her. We got we all went down to the beach. Yes, we did. Had a great and spent time. some time. That was uh, awesome. I've never seen waves so high in my life. Oh, they said it was uncharacteristic. It was brutal. They were like eight feet high. Yes. I was <laughs> a funny <laughs> side story. The next testimony that we're going to be releasing out next week is uh, Joel Rosenauer, and yes. uh, he was out there playing. You guys look like kids, oh, just out did. there having a blast. Totally put me right. But back. he was too close to the shore, <laughs> and he tried to jump yeah. over the wave. <laughs> it body slammed him like Hulk Hogan. Well, the, just like boom. They they re uh, they they brought a lot of sand in. Oh yeah, it was like a foot deep. The, yeah, they they reclaimed the the beach, which most beaches do, cool. because the waves pull all the sand out. Sure. Well, the way the the surf had been tearing into the the reclaimed beach, it's almost like a cliff. Yes. It's not like a beach that you just grab. Yeah, you just go walk in and then suddenly you're in over your head. <laughs> and then there's a lot of pockets. So if you, you try to ride a wave in, you're going to ride it right into a cliff. Yeah. And Amy, <laughs> actually, I was I watched Amy. She like body surfed all the way to, up to the beach. Yes. And I was like, I was so shocked. But and anyway. you got to have your arms up above your face so you didn't get face yeah, planted. But she is a, a, a wonderful lady. Yes. And uh, has been through the ringer. And, um, it is a powerful testimony. You bring it right back down, Rick. Come on. Yeah. So yeah. I really keep it high. Yeah. So I really hope you guys uh, uh, listen closely yes. and enjoy this episode. And we'll talk to you after it. Dr. Amy Castillo. Hello. How are you doing? Great. Thanks so much for being with us. We're here at Berean Bible Church. Thanks to Pastor David Curtis and Berean Bible Church for allowing us to come back here for another testimony series. I've got Cherry and Rick here with me. Oh, yeah. That's exciting. Yes, it is. The Annihilator. The Annihilator. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, yeah. So we've been, uh, I was introduced to you. I never actually met you until at the conference, but I heard through uh, Bob Cruikshank. He told me about you and about possibly having you on for a testimony. So thank you so much for being 
uh, willing to come and share your testimony with us. All right. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's get this thing kicked off. I always ask our guest, can you tell me to the best of your ability, your earliest memory of when you heard the name Jesus Christ? All right. So I was raised going to church. My father probably was a believer by the time, about the time he was seven, he went to a revival, says he was saved. And, you know, I believe he was. He just didn't like to go to church or be involved at all. My mother, I thought she was always a believer, but she told me she became saved after me. So, but she, her, she said her mother taught her, you should always take your children to church. That's the right thing to do. So I grew up in church. Now, while I was there, I'd go in the uh, room where you take your babies that are crying and take footballs and super balls and throw them all over the room. And this is how much I was paying attention, right? Um, but I, and when I was 15, I was in high school and my best friend had just gotten saved and was very excited. So she took me to a uh, Jerry Falwell church plant, mm-hmm. D.C. area. And um, they had a revival. So every day I went and the first few days they said the same thing they always say. And they said, say a prayer. And I was like, mm-hmm, I didn't get it. But like maybe the second or third day, I realized all of a sudden, who I was before God, how much I needed Jesus, and that I needed to say the prayer. And, you know, I just got it one day. And so I didn't tell anyone, but I said the prayer. So the next day I came back, and the whole thing, same thing. And um, when they said say the prayer again, I was afraid it didn't take the first time. Mm. So I decided, well, I should probably say it again, kind of like it's a magic <laughs> spell, because I wanted to make sure God got it. You got a double dip. Yeah, yeah. I thought I got it the first time. So I said it again, but I'm sure I got it the first time. So... Um, well, by the way, I always thought I had a boring testimony. I used to complain that I had a boring testimony, and God ramped it up later on. But back then, this is just, you know, I had Christian parents, went to church and got saved. The next thing they did there is they showed a burning hell film that was from the 70s. And my friend who just got saved, her and her dad were really on fire for the Lord. So they rented a bus, and they told all the people, like a bunch of guys who played sports two, hour, uh, two years older than us, she was having a birthday party, and her dad was going to pick her up in the bus, and I was part of this. So we drove around and picked up all these people, and it was not a party. They took them to this junior high where we had the church, and they had to watch the Burning Hell film instead of the birthday party. And one guy said, I'm really hungry. <laughs> Do you at least have some cake? And they said, nope, we don't even have any food. For There's you. no so, cake in hell. Yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> this, film, this film was a complete comedy. It is hilarious. Oh, wow. um, everyone has like ashes all over their face and they're all burning in his story. And anyway, I kind of got the clue after that, that maybe this wasn't, something was maybe not right about this church. Yes. <laughs> so I did go back with my mother to the Baptist church. Wow. Yeah. And also, well, just my poor brother who was six years younger than me. He was about nine and he vi- just visited the church one time. He said, somebody pulled his arm up during the service, when they said, raise your hand if you want to come say a prayer, he says he didn't raise his hand. They pushed him up there, made him say a prayer to get their numbers, you know. And he was mad at me for decades. He would not step foot in a church. And I apologized to him about five years ago. And I told him I was only 15. I didn't know, but he, it really affected him. Yeah. 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 So there's the beginning. Well, I mean, that's, <laughs> I've been in churches where they literally drag people out of the, you know, the pew to the altar, you know, and then they walk out with this false sense of salvation, you know? So, and how old were you then? When 15. You, 15, okay. And so take us to the present. Tell us about, um, you know, being a believer in, in, in your faith and, and, and how you got to where you are today. All right, so I spent a lot of time studying. I wanted to be a doctor, so I studied a lot in elementary school, to get in special classes in junior high, to get in special classes in high school, and then, and then I studied a lot in college, and then I had medical school and residency. Um, in residency, I lived in Charleston, South Carolina, and I accidentally ended up at a church that was Reformed Baptist. And it was really great because the first thing I really understood there that changed my life was that God is God and I'm not, is how I would summarize that. So I learned about his sovereignty and his holiness. I also heard that you could get someone to disciple you. And I really wanted to learn. So I just begged for someone to disciple me. And there's a woman who met with me for seven years and I had to get up sometimes for rotations at four o'clock in the morning. I'd tell her, well, I guess we're not going to meet. And she'd say, oh, no, we're going to meet in my office at, you know, 3.30. So she met with me for seven years, and she taught me, you need to study the Bible for yourself. And she taught me how to study the Bible. So it really was pretty amazing. Wow. And another part of that was I watched that uh, series of The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. So that had a lot of impact on me also 
learning that God is God again and I'm not. And that was just a huge revelation that I can't do it on my own. Then moving along, after my residency, I was down in Charleston playing volleyball and I met my husband-to-be. So to make that short, I really loved him. Um, We moved back home to my home in D.C. and I was pregnant five times in five years. I had two miscarriages and three children. But of course, right as we have the baby and the one and three-year-old, he started having mental health issues. Mm. Kind of a bad time for that. And it was a slow, it was a two-year deterioration. And it started with him going and living in the car for a month and saying he was going to kill himself on his birthday. So here I am um, trying to work as a doctor, pediatrician, um, trying to take care of very young kids. It was extremely stressful. I didn't know where he was. I didn't know how to find him. Finally, he called me and said, I'm in a hotel and I'm going to kill myself. Well, he tells me where the hotel is. So of course, I call the police. And when they got there, all of his luggage was in the car. So he didn't really look like he was planning on living. He was going to kill himself with ant poisoning and duct tape, which mm. is not kind of your normal way of killing yourself. So he was kind of having, you know, a manic-ish psychotic break there. So anyway, of course, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call the police. So I call the police. This is two hours away from home. He ends up in the ER. The police think it's legitimate. He has handcuffs on. I have to give two of my kids to my brother. I'm carrying a baby with me. It was so stressful. So they admitted him to the psych hospital, and he really never got over that. He said that I'm a doctor, again, and I magically convinced them that he should be in the psych hospital. You know, it wasn't his own actions. It was me having magical powers over the ER doctor. So um, the very difficult thing about that is he was there for seven days, and then, you know, those HIPAA papers. I said, so you're going to tell me before you come home, you know, what the diagnosis is, what the plan is. And he would not sign those papers. He said, you cannot know what happened in the hospital. So one of the hardest things I ever did was leave him standing there two hours away. And my friends came and got me and we just left him there. And he got on a bus and I I had the locks on the house changed. He started breaking windows in. I mean, this started a whole two-year period of me hiding in people's houses, trying to go to work. I lived in someone's room with three children lying on the floor I got a nanny who was very expensive. Uh, she would take the kids to her apartment while I tried to go to work as a pediatrician. And I would lie under the desk and sleep during lunch to try to get some sleep. Um, also, to get back at me, he knew I hated divorce, so he said he, he applied for divorce. Meanwhile, I got custody of the kids, and we weren't even getting divorced. Mm. So I was concerned about his mental health. So two years of this, and finally, uh, he only had daytime visitation. He didn't have nighttime visitation. He took them, and, he didn't bring, and they didn't come home. So I kept calling the police, and they said, well, this is a civil court matter. You can take it to court next week. And finally, the next day, a friend happened to visit. She was hanging out with me, waiting for him to bring them back. And we see the police coming across the lawn. And I thought, well, I've called them several times, and they said they weren't interested. So this time, they told me, well, we found the van in Baltimore. So I thought, why is the van in Baltimore? But they didn't tell me anything. So they took me out there. And apparently, the poor policeman knew the whole time, but I didn't know. And they sent me in a in a desk and in a room with a bunch of furniture and chairs. And I said to them, well, when you bring the kids in, they're going to tear this room up. They're going to get hurt on the chairs and everything. And maybe the chief of police, I don't remember, tells me, um, your husband drowned them all in a bathtub and um, killed himself. Uh, Not killed himself, I'm sorry. He cut his throat and he's in surgery to try to repair his neck. And your brain just, I mean, it just snaps right off. Like you just, it's just, you're gone. The first thing I thought was, well, we're going to need to call the nanny and tell her not to come to work tomorrow. So somebody called her and you could hear her just wailing in the background, you know, and I don't remember who got told anything after that. They put me back in the police car with my poor friend. I actually said to them, did not one of them live? Are you sure? Like one of them didn't live? Not none of them. They're all three gone. And they said, yeah, they're all gone. And then they were all just staring at me, and I was crying. I said, well, what, what am I supposed to do next? Like, you just have no clue what to do. So they drove me back home, and they warned me that there was going to be media all over my lawn. They were hooked up to the telephone poles. You know, they just parked their trucks there. I could barely get in the house, and they just stayed there for a week. It was um, very public right away. So I am used to talking about it because I guess God decided everyone's going to know about this. Some people have very deep hurts, and nobody knows what it is, but this was meant to be out there, you know. And I don't know, I I don't even know what to say after that. So many people came from high school, from every walk of my life, two churches I went to up there. I got to say, even though we'll get more into that, I've left my church. They they did so much for me back then. They really were amazing. They took care of everything around my house. So you were in church at this time? 
I, I uh, moved back to D.C. I mean, prior to this. I'm talking about whenever you were married. Yeah, we, we moved up to D.C. We went to a small non-denominational church, and then we went to a huge mega church in the D.C. area. And was your husband religious? He is a believer. He was a believer. He is a believer. He still is. He just, it was a mental health. Yes. So I know people find that hard to believe, but well, I know I, mean, I married a believer, you know. Right. But his, but he was, he was mentally ill. And yes. that's what, yeah. And two other things. Over this two-year period, he um, would come to the door and say, I know I'm doing the wrong thing, but I'm going to do it anyway. And he started getting rid of, not going to church and not reading the Bible and not seeing his friends. He really says he purposefully turned away. Over a two-year period, it didn't happen overnight, right? It was a two-year period of moving away from God, doing what you're not supposed to. And um, his mental health just kept deteriorating. I could tell one of us was going to lose it, and I felt like I had stronger mental fortitude, so it probably wouldn't be me. But it was getting bad. We were in the court all the time. They'd bring the stack out and laugh at how high the pile is with the motions in the pile, and, you know, wasn't that funny? And I tried to get help. I tried to get help for two years. It was terrible. I just begged them to help him. And this was, what, how many years ago? 2008, so, and so 15 yeah. years ago. Yeah, things weren't, uh, they're a little bit better today, but not really as, as much as, not as much help as that, that we need. But back then it seemed like it, was, it still wasn't really readily available. Mental, mental illness has always been difficult to get. You can't make someone get it either. I tried to you get the court. They appointed a counselor, but he didn't have to do anything. He had psychological testing, and, um, but you, you just can't make people do it. And because he didn't do something terrible, like abuse them or injure them, the police couldn't do anything either. They can't really do anything until after the fact, after someone has committed a crime, you know? Mm. Wow. So, so after this, you know, you, you said that your church, where you were in, they were trying to be very helpful, but so take us from there. So what, what's after that, what do you do? Well, first of all, in the beginning, I couldn't even watch TV for 15 minutes without taking a nap. Your brain is just so turned off. I could, I could dress myself and feed myself. That was about it. So everyone had to take care of me. And the PTSD is terrible. It was nightmares, flashbacks, hypervigilance. Hypervigilance being someone would ring the doorbell and I would run and hide in the bathroom because your just nerves are on edge. Right. And I couldn't even read for a year. So I, I make it now by reading the Bible every day, but I couldn't even read. I couldn't comprehend anything. They were, you need to read Job and you know, I just could barely read. And then when I went to church, they'd sing a hymn and I'd have to leave crying. So I, I don't know. I, I made it somehow. That was, so some people gave you advice to read Job? Yes. Mm, interesting. But I couldn't read really. Right. And so tell me something after something like this. So this obviously I'm, I mean, I, I've heard, but now to hear it directly from you. So I'm, I'm in a state of shock a little bit. And so um, what did you think about God in regard to all this? So I was on, a month later, I was on Larry King, interviewed by Larry King and Dr. Phil, which is crazy. And Larry King asked me if I still had my faith. And I don't know, all along I felt like, well, I had a strong faith when I was 15. If I didn't, I don't know how I would have made it. And I told him, yes, I am not going to give up my faith. And I said, I know I, ha I will be able to forgive him, but I don't feel like it right now. Mm. You know, I'm not there at all. And that took a lot of work. But I, of course, I thought about suicide and... Um, but but I I feel like I would be forgiven, but I don't really want to do that to God, and I didn't want it to do want to do that to the people around me who already had to live through this extremely traumatic event. So I, once you decide that's off the table, you know, uh, somebody took me to China about three months after this happened to go on a mission trip, and I sat there. It was crazy on a mountain in China in monsoon season. I thought I don't want to go home. I don't want to live here. But if I did something, I would hurt this family and their kids and my brother, and my relatives. So the missionaries gave me a book that said, Healing is a Choice. And I didn't want to read it because I could read anyway and didn't feel like it. I looked at the title on the side next to my bed, Healing is Choice, Healing is Choice. Finally, I read it, and I decided I choose to get better. So I went to counseling seven days a week for a while. I had a trauma counselor and a Christian counselor, and it was constant work to keep me going, you know? Yeah. I did EMDR where you move your eyes back and forth and all that. I went to a PTSD program in, in D.C. I mean, it took years. I will say seven years later, I recovered from PTSD, which is really miraculous. And once the nightmares and flashbacks stop, it, it is such a relief. Oh, I was afraid to go to bed all the time because as soon as you lie down, you're going to have a nightmare, you know, and the thoughts are going to come. And it was terrible sleeping. I mean, it was just a long road. Yeah. 
So I imagine, you know, we spoke earlier today, so I'm just thinking about the fact that you were a pediatrician. Did all that stop right away? Like once, once this event occurred in your family, did you see, did you stop practicing or, or how did that go? That's a good question. Um, so I couldn't think at all. So I had to quit work. I lost everything. I was no longer a wife, mother, or doctor. I was still a doctor, kind of. But a year and a half later, I went back to work. And it was so stressful. So by the way, keep in mind, people were telling me, trying to make me feel better. You're going to be like Job, and everything's going to be restored. you know. And instead, I got something like shingles, mm. I was, which is activated when you have mental and physical stress. So I got a terrible virus. I had terrible PTSD while I was working. And um, it caused me to have nerve damage in my face. You can't see it, but it's called trigeminal neuralgia. And it's like having dental pain all the time. Mm. So that happened. So this is what I get instead of a restored family. I get terrible. It's called the suicide disease. So I think, how do I get, I learned about that in medical school, something I don't ever want. So this is what I got during the process. So now I'm at work with trauma and nerve pain. And three years later, I had to quit. Mm. So I got put in bed. I mean, I lost everything. Wow. So, yeah. And a pediatrician, you know, with children of your own and having to go through that and then trying to get back into to taking, all, and then having all of this happen to you. And so, um, you know, obviously we study the Bible and we talk about it here, you know, and you said that reading the Bible was something that was helping. So tell us, like, obviously I see that you've, you know, the Lord's done a lot in your life. And so, Take us from there to here, okay? So you're in a non-denominational church, and those people were good to you. I guess, uh, obviously, I don't think you're in that church anymore, right? No, and here's where I might look at something. Okay, so I'm going to tell you kind of the questions that I had pre-trauma and then added on to that after trauma, because this is where the thinking all started. And keep in mind, I got put in bed in 2014. So I felt like God said, do you have time to read now? And I was like, you know, I do. You oh, lose wow. everything. There you are. Yeah. So beforehand, I always wondered why Jesus never returned, these kind of things. You know, it's the Cold War, it's Y2K, it's every prison that we've ever had, you know, it's COVID, it's everything. So I always wondered, but, you know, I told God I'm busy, I don't have time. I don't have time to really study all this, except for the years I was discipled, that was good. And, um, well, oh, I remember hearing decades ago that some atheists said that the Bible says that Jesus and the writers of the New Testament said this was going to happen soon. So, but since it didn't happen, since Jesus didn't return, how can you believe any of the Bible? And I remember being a little bit embarrassed for Jesus, yeah. you know, and the disciples. I felt, oh, I kind of feel bad for them that they didn't know. But, you know, yeah. I, I still have faith, but I'm just, I'm a little embarrassed, you know. Right. So that was another one. Um, so are these questions related to, like, your questions to God? Yeah, these are these are some things I wanted to know. Well, this is this is pre-trauma, right? So That's these cool. came. I brought these with me. That's Another cool. one was I got a math science brain. I've studied science for eleven years of higher education. What do I do with taking Genesis literally? I mean, this was people would ask me running down the hall in medical school. How can you be a Christian? You know, how can you be a Christian? And and and, and then you know we learned math science. So that was always a, I could never meld all that together, and that drove me crazy. Post-trauma, I still wondered all these things. There's more, but. Um, I also wondered, where are my kids, and what is the correct thinking? Because I'm speaking, I did some speaking. People would come up to me and say, I want to talk to you about my grandma, my mother, my brother, you know, when they wanted to talk about their losses. And I felt like, now this is a key piece, God told me decades ago, you don't know your eschatology at all, you need to study it. And I felt like, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. I cannot imagine if I had studied it like he told me to. But I kept saying, I'll do that some other time. Mm. You know, so then... He put me in bed, and guess what? I had time to study eschatology, but I really was like, where are my kids? Are they floating around? And then they're sad because they have a soul, but they don't have a body. And, and what? how many resurrections and how many second comings do it? And it was really very confusing to me to hear it, to have other people put it into me. So I decided I need to study the Bible for myself. Mm. So this was a long path of being on massive amounts of medication, and but sitting in bed, having nothing else to do, and deciding I'm going to start studying so sometimes when I go to the conference, there'll be a few people that tell me, you know, I heard about full preterism, and um, I just got it right away. I just understood. I decided that's true. For me, it was a long path yeah. of reading and discovery. 
on purpose, right? I've met some people that said they were like being dragged, kicking and screaming. One of them was beside me. We, <laughs> we, and we, she really was. Yeah, we were, I was dragging her, kicking and screaming at her. But no, but it, I've seen some where they really struggle with it or they're angry right away. Or um, So for you, it wasn't instant. You were just, this was a process for you. Yes, and meanwhile, I'm still always working through the trauma. I mean, that took a very long time. I would say at year five, I was very angry. I realized, oh, and I'm also angry with God. And here I am at year five when they say things get better. And instead of having a new husband, a new family, I have a terrible nerve disease. Right. So it was very, I realized people aren't telling me the truth at church. They claimed I was going to, you know, in the years that the locust ate were going to be returned. And none of it was turned out. It was just worse. So, you know. Right. People say things to comfort you that when you find out they aren't true, you get kind of upset. So, yeah. Rightfully so, so. So you're on this bed. You're studying eschatology. So how does preterism get into the mix here? That's a really good question. I really like how did that happen? Are you, so the, are you studying under somebody? Oh no, it was just kind of me myself stuck in own? my room. I've been I stuck am. in my room for like years. Um, would you just ask me? So how, how, did, did, how did you stumble upon preterism? Okay, yeah. So first, I just decided um, I'm going to study the Book of Revelation, which I didn't really understand, and then I'm going to go back and read Old Testament books. So I read like Ezekiel. I remember I was so drugged for the pain. I thought someone said. Uh, Zechariah instead of, they said Ezekiel, but I heard Z, so I read Zechariah instead. I got the wrong book. And then I thought, that book is crazy. There's like some woman in a basket with an iron lid, (laughs) and then women like storks fly her off to the land of Shinar. And I did read, and there's imagery about horses, and I kind of realized the book of Revelation isn't some isolated crazy thing. This language is all over here. I couldn't believe how crazy that book was, you know? It's all crazy. Yeah, I was like, I accidentally picked that as like the first book he meant Ezekiel, but you know. So I read that. (laughs) <laughs> trying to understand Revelation, but just kind of putting that on the shelf. All right, then I, I asked one of my friends who I brought along with me. He's my snowboarding friend. I would have someone to reflect this off of. He'd come to visit, and i said, guess what I learned this week? Oh, yeah, by the way, my initial premise was, of course I'm going to believe what I grew up with because that's right, right? Yeah. But I want to understand that. those other people out there. I want to understand how those other people think, and I, I am now one of those other people, right? Yes, <laughs> Exactly. So he said, I asked him the other day, how, how did this sound in the beginning? He said, you went on and on and on about the Olivet Discourse and Matthew 24. And then he said, you just could not figure it out. And he said, I wish you, maybe you had talked about it a little less. You know, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to work through that. And I do remember listening to um, R.C. Sproul's Last Days According to Jesus. Yes. And I, I loved him. I cried when he died. He was great. But he had hesitation as to where he chopped it from this verse is about the past, and this verse is about the future. And I heard his hesitation, and he also mentioned those people out there, you know, who believe it's fulfilled. And I was like, wait, who are those people? Because (laughs) even though I was studying for myself, I would listen to some roundtable discussions I found on YouTube or something, and they never included any of those views, you know? So I I was like, wait, who are those people? Um, Another one, I read Josephus' work, and that was just amazing. Mm Mm-hmm. And I realized that definitely sounded like tribulation to me. So that was really an eye-opener. I shared all this with my friend. And he said maybe three to six months after me, he got it. But he moved on down the road. This is a really slow. Well, when you said Josephus' work, now I know it's slow and arduous yes, and yes. long. <laughs> and, for, yeah. and I'm but laying that, there in bed sick and can't go to work. And it's just, yeah, it's just hard to read. But you know, I wouldn't go in any work anytime quickly, so I could take my time. You know? Yeah, but that's good because, I mean, going through Josephus, it's a lot— that's a really large book and very, very fine print. I'm not yes. saying I read all of it, but I well, started, yeah. I at least read the part about the temple sure. and Titus coming and then Vespasian afterwards a little bit. It actually got interesting by the end. But I mean, the other little piece that you're probably going to turn my microphone off for <laughs> is um, I really, <laughs> no. in the end, had to work out, worked out. I kept going back to Genesis 1 through 3, and I kept reading, what is the original heavens and the earth? And then what is the new heavens and the earth? And can I make these not physical, about physical, and that it has to be the earth and the, everything's physical? So I really worked back and forth between that and um, came up with, I mean, I grew up in that time of you have to take everything concretely. Mm-hmm. You know, you take everything literally. And I realized I don't have to take any of it literally if I want to. So that's kind of how I worked the last pieces was kind of really changing my perception of Genesis, you know, in Revelation. But it really, I don't, I don't know. Um, in the beginning, I was talking somebody about how mad I was. I was really angry. I thought, um, were people lying to me all along, or did they mean well? Because I was told all kinds of things about 
not only my trauma, but what should I do for my pain? I should go get underwater where there's no noise and crazy to have bees sting my face. And, you know, you get a lot of advice that are kind of, kind of odd. Bees sting <laughs> yeah, your put face? bees I don't on think your I've body heard that one recently. pain and let them sting you, and that's going to cure your nerve problem. Like, I'm going to do that to my eyes, right? Yeah. Wow. I've never heard of that therapy. I've oh, had that one time, and it didn't, that did was not therapy. Really? Yes. Yeah. Ate the therapy, right? Uh, no, Bumblebee. Oh, you didn't a, do it on purpose. No, okay. <laughs> and swole my whole side of my face up. Yeah, why would I do that to make myself not at all. better? It's, so. That wasn't therapy at all. I'm so curious what that therapy is called. I don't know. I think it's apitherapy. Ape, like something like apiary. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, no I got I deviated a little bit on that one. Yeah, that's okay. I forgot where I was. <laughs> well, you were reading Josephus and doing a lot, and so um, oh, and, the and then you heard about thing. the yeah, other yeah, yeah. people, right? And so the other others. Ah, I know where I was. Welcome so to the I was dark angry side. for a while. I yeah. was angry for about two years because I really felt like— why did no one tell me any of this before? Why didn't I learn about this in church? I actually had, again, there's a lot of people along the path. I had an Orthodox Jewish woman I worked with about 20 years ago, and I'd never heard anything about temple or Jerusalem, anything. And she told me how important this was to them and how it was a huge event. And she really taught me about it, and I thought, I've never heard any of this before. Mm-hmm. So That was shocking for me, too. Yeah. I'm like, what, what happened back then? Because I come from this— this really weird group that believes, you know, they were trying to um, donate money to build the new temple in Jerusalem. Exactly, yeah. And we're in Western North Carolina, and they're like, here, give money. We're going to try to put a cornerstone. They call that a building fund. Yeah, it's a building. That's a, really, <laughs> that's a strange Baptist building fund. Like, the, they want to put the cornerstone of the temple in Jerusalem. And I'm like, but there's already a temple there. And they're like, oh, it's a mosque. And I'm like, okay, well— how are how are you gonna like? We can I, remodel that. Like it has to happen. Like so, I came from those pretty wild dispensational groups, you know. And so when I first heard about, wait a minute, there was but so the temple was destroyed. And then Jesus would talk about his temple, and then we are the temple, and all that. Like I, none of it made sense because I was so busy focusing on what was coming in the future that I couldn't even understand the faith that was in me. Yep. You know? Back before I knew anything, when I was very sick, I was in a Bible study. We were studying Luke, and this woman just kept yelling, yelling, when we build the temple, when we build the temple in the future. And I said, we just read in Luke. I mean, we just read that Jesus is a cornerstone. We are the building blocks. Jesus is going to be the temple. He's the priest. He's the sacrifice. He's the lamb. He's everything. So how is it we need another temple? Sounds offensive to Jesus to me to say we very need another temple. So. But I, so I, I was like, yeah. I got a question. I got a question. I got a question. And nobody can answer it. So I figured I better start, yeah. start reading there. Wow. So, so that tells me a little bit, but so let's get to preterism. So that was R.C. Sproul. I guess he's considered partial preterist, right? He was dividing or whatever. So take me from there to now. The one little piece left is um, after finally, I think the resolution of Genesis and Revelation really helped me. But um, I did listen to Don Preston some, and I was skiing in... Switzerland in snowboarding, snowboarding in Switzerland, mm-hmm. and was in a little ski chalet, and I was listening to him speak on Heart of the Matter, that's what it's called, and I got it. It was, again, one of those poof moments where I was like, I got it, and I shared it with a few people, and they were like, you know, I don't know about that, but I, mm-hmm. I was done. Yeah. I was there. I got it. <clears throat> so show me how you take a 15-year-old girl that becomes a believer in the church that you're in, and then going through a marriage and have, being happy, and then having children— and then watching your husband deteriorate, then having the trauma of losing your children to that man that you loved and knowing that he was a believer and what a devastating thing that was. And then now, obviously, becoming a pediatrician, you know, we kind of skipped over that. That took a while. You know, what was that, 12 years of study? 11. 11 years of study. Um, may I ask, where did you go to school? I went to William & Mary Medical College of Virginia in Richmond, and then um, the Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston. Oh, okay. MUSC? Yes. Oh, awesome. And then, so then you get, um, after going through this trauma, and you you have everybody giving you all kinds of information and all this stuff, you're wondering where you're, where are my kids? What are they doing? So what do you think now? Well, okay, so you want me to tell you the things that I am so happy about? Yes, let's hear that. That I got this. It really was such a great revelation. I'm telling you, when I read the Bible, it's just light bulbs going off all the time. Um, yeah, Pastor Curtis will tell you, read your Bible. 
Read your Bible. He every says day. Every, every single, Sunday. Every Sunday. He also says, don't believe me. Read your Bible. Go study it yourself. That's right. You got a problem with him? Well, then pick up your Bible and read it, and then you'll agree. So I was taught that <laughs> yeah. a long time ago. <laughs> but then you'll agree. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't say that I, I did. That yeah. Yeah. I said that. <laughs> no, right. but so I'm gonna tell you, that. I'll tell you the things that have been very meaningful to me. I wrote this list down okay. two years ago. First of all, my loved ones are not floating around in some waiting area. They are complete with Christ. Amen. Complete in Christ. So. Yeah. Mm. To back up on that a little bit, thank God. God let me hear my kid, that my older two kids that could talk were saved. The week before they died, I was practicing my violin for orchestra for Easter, and they were playing in the basement. And a few weeks before that, my oldest son came and said that my middle son was very his own person, you know, (laughs) bad, basically. And um, (laughs) my oldest son said, Mommy, Mommy, he doesn't believe in God. And Dad was saying this while he was out running around crazy. So... He was very upset by this. And then he came to me that week before Easter and said, Mommy, Mommy, Austin does believe in God. And so he was all relieved that Austin was saying he did believe in God. He told the neighbor who was two, um, God loves you, but not your sin. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So they were in the basement talking to each other. And the younger one said, "Um, I'm going to go to heaven and be with Jesus when I die. And the older one says, you know, you can't bring your toys. And he said, I do understand that. So I got to hear this little conversation, you know, the week before. And it gives me, it just makes me feel so much better that I know that they got it in their little four and six-year-old way. The two-year-old, she was around constant believers. The nanny was a believer. The people that watched her during orchestra, everyone was a believer. And she would just, you know, smile and do that. So that's all I got, but it's enough to make me feel a lot better. And then I'm not worried, in addition to that, that they're lost in space somewhere, and I don't know where they are and what's going on. Right. I feel like may they're I completely ask, uh, May I ask their names? Yeah. You know, funny, that's the hardest thing to— Oh, I'm sorry. funny. You know, I mean, it's weird, right? But um, Anthony, Austin, and Athena. It's really hard to say their names. It's really easy to say um, the kids, you know. Yeah, I was just—you just told me that they're complete in Christ— and they have names, and he has the name above every other name. And so I know, and I, it, you know, when we say it, that it hurts. But um, you know, I had a sister that was that that died at the age of sixteen, and, and it was tragic. It was instant, and didn't know what to do. And I remember she'd said to me a week before she died that she didn't know if she believed in God anymore. She was the one that actually took me to church, right? And I wrestled with that for a long time. And I had dreams and nightmares, many, a lot of things like that, you know, but nothing to the nowhere near similar. But I remember um, just suddenly realizing that someone that puts their faith in Christ at some point, you know, when this happens, that that's, to me, that's sovereign. That's God. That's, that's, he's moved in her life. The world's going to keep trying to chew us up and spit us out. Nothing's really changed about that. We keep enduring that. But there was a moment when I got some relief and I knew I was going to see her again. I didn't understand how, where, but I just did. And I got that. And I still carry that now. And so I, her name was Rachel. And I can't wait to see her someday. And you know what else I don't have? A lot of people have survivor's guilt, Mm. which is a whole nother thing to deal with. Sure. And I don't have survivor's guilt because I know they're with the Lord. So it's a wonderful thing. That has not been a piece I've had to get over. Sure. And so now I see that. Um, so where did you hear about full preterism? When did that really come in? Well, it's that whole long, it was a long path. Like I yeah. said, I, I decided I was going to study eschatology. I started, I was kind of lost, took a long time. And um, I barely had heard about it from the atheists who said those were, the, you know, said something about the time statements and how the Bible can't be true because of them. I was like, what is that? And then R.C. Sproul saying there's some people out there yeah, And then not being able to chop the Olivet Discourse anywhere. Where do you ax it? Where do you cut it and say, you know? So then I could look it up after all this and find people. Like I told you, I listened to Don Preston. I listened to all kinds of people. I didn't find uh, this church until COVID when my church had major political <laughs> problems and the pastor left and they were fighting over politics. It was terrible. And then I realized my theology has changed so much I shouldn't be going there. Right. So I finally was like, I'm out, you know? Yeah. I do go to a singles group there still, and it is an incredible group. It is my fellowship. Mm. Those people come from all over the D.C. area, from all different denominations, and um, we have to get along. And I feel like the core of of what we have in common is um, we've been made right before God by what Jesus did, and the Bible 
is inspired scripture, and that's it. But the list that I looked at, okay, I went to this church for 20 years, never joined. I looked in around the time of COVID, and they had 10 to 15 things you had to believe to even teach a children's class. And I thought, I might as well not even go for an interview. I will never pass. So at that point, I felt like it's time to move on. Yeah. Yep. So. Wow. I do have a few more things that I'm happy about. Please, about please like, tell us how happy you <laughs> yes. are. I'm excited to hear it. Yeah. We started with the kids. I'm also happy that I don't have to worry about being stuck somewhere in some intermediate land when I die. Um, I, I don't have to give up and sell everything to wait for Jesus to return. I can go ahead and plan on living, especially when, with the losses. You know, do you just, I remember saying, I can't wait till Jesus returns. I hope it's, oh, I hope they're right. It's tomorrow because you hurt. You hurt. You're in pain. You know, I'm in physical pain, mental pain. I would love to pick the theology of I'm out of here. I mean, that would be the one I would pick. But um, <laughs> since I'm basing it on the Bible and don't pick it on how I feel, I realize, well, I, might, I'm need, to, I need to just I've get I've never a, heard it said that way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was really yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. That's true. So since, since I can't just get out of here uh, and I'm looking for the truth, I realize I'm, I'm going to have to live. I'm going to have to live until I die. Well, right. There you go. Um, Another one, the, and the, some of these are like, I know they're um, disputed within preterism, but I'm just going to give myself away here. Uh, I feel like because I believe Satan is done, whatever Satan was or is, um, that I'm free in Christ to regulate my own behavior. Like, I have more freedom over my choices to make better choices or not, and that a lot of bad things come from in here, you know, and in other people. And uh, people used to tell me my artwork was possessed and there were demons probably living. Okay, I collect African masks because I've been on mission trips. People told me maybe that's why my kids were murdered. Oh, what? Man. You believe it? Because there's evil in the pieces of wood that are artwork from another country that are on my walls. So I never really felt like that was true, but now I really don't. I'm like, phew. People actually <laughs> said that. <laughs> what is wrong yeah. with people, yeah. man? Oh, man. Like, it's a bad can story. Can you be any more of a... Well, I'm not going to say that word here, but... Like, if I burn my artwork, maybe it, maybe it wouldn't happen, but yeah. Wow. Another one... Like somebody would say something like that. Yeah. <sighs> Sorry. That's I don't amazing. want to say who, but... <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, I also was told by people at church, keep in mind they get all kinds of uh, different churches, my singles group, that if you're obedient to Christ, Satan's going to come get you. So that's a sign that you're being obedient yeah. is that bad things are happening to you. Oh, yeah, I've heard that one. So I, I, I never experienced that. I felt like when I'm obedient to Christ, it's very rewarding. Um, I don't know. It's quite the opposite. I'm very happy when I'm yeah, It's like the better Christ. you get, the worse life gets. Yeah. So, so if something bad doesn't happen, you're not doing it right. right. So I learned that isn't right. true. So that was really, uh, phew. Okay. Um, I also wrote, like, by focusing so much on Satan, you forget about the sovereignty of your own God. In other words, people almost worship Satan. They talk about him all the time. I'm like, well, what happened to just— Asking your God for help instead of always kind of shoo away Satan. You know? Yeah. And again, I didn't grow up with all this, but I've heard it a lot over recent years with all the people I know. Um, it's easy to deal with your own problems if you can project it onto something else. Yeah, somebody else yeah. is doing yes. this to me. Yeah. They're making me think this. They're making me do this. But now, I, again, now I realize not only do I have to live, I have to deal with my own problems. Yes. Because most of them are in my head. Yeah. I have sure. to control my own behavior, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and whatever's going on outside of that head. In the world. And other people certainly other people, bring it on you, but you can't coming, really take responsibility. But how we filter that, you know, we we have our presuppositional theology. How'd you like that word? Oh, I, I love learned, it. That was nice. That our presupposition yeah. is from the scriptures and from what we believe about God. Can you spell and that for me right now? I can't. I will, but I won't. Speaking of bad things coming from other people, um, they told me, I didn't even know what a boundary was, but I read that book on boundaries. And they told me in counseling, I need to learn how to set good boundaries. So I had a lot of years of boundary setting, so I am much better at that. Yeah. We started out by saying no to everything. Yes. <laughs> yes. So you yes. got to overcorrect. No. Yeah. Absolutely yes. not. <laughs> so they said, I want you to, I said, can I have some homework? Who asked for homework and counseling? And he said, I want you to go out and just say no to everything. So this is how so I. So that's Occam's razor right there. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, another one is, I don't have to go through the, I don't have to go through the great tribulation, although my life feels like about like that sometimes, you know. Um, another big one was the Bible made sense for the first time to me. I could never make it make sense. And I have a brain that needs things to be rational and make sense. Unfortunately, the people are just like, I got it. That would be great. But no, I need it to make sense. And I'm so happy that God makes sense. Yeah. I know that's what, one of the things I share, I share this a lot, but it, um, when I first saw Jeff McCormick's the sun will be darkened. I talk about it all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't help it, but that was my. And he's here too. And he is. Yeah. My, the he's aha present. moment. 
about apocalyptic language. Hey, Jeff, as a matter of fact, can you come back and replay that for us right now? Yeah. (laughs) The apocalyptic (laughs) language and hearing the sun will be darkened and then taking it to the Old Testament and seeing that it was so, like, I was like, oh, you know, I kept waiting. I thought the sun was going to have to explode and that the moon was going to have to turn red. The sky was going to turn into a scroll. (laughs) Yes, I thought all of this was literal. I really did. And so when I learned, it was such an eye-opening experience. So yeah, I'm with you on that one. And then there's the way I understand the Bible, the way I read it, like the audience relevance, audience relevance and context and just reading a whole book at a time. I made a little timeline of history in my own notes in my phone, and I plug in there so I can kind of visually see it. Who was, who was when? Who's in Babylon? Who's in Assyria? Who's before that? Who's What king is when? And then it just helps me put it into history, whereas before it was like a black hole of a verse. I don't know where it came from. Mm. So that's big. Oh, I also was told you can't understand these books, so don't read it. I've been told that a lot. Yeah. You want to understand the book of Revelation to you till it happens, so don't read it. But funny, it says in the first few verses, you should read this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In my last What would one, be a point to understand it after it already happened? Yeah. Right, right. Why, why read it ahead of time and, and take yeah. action yeah. And, and leave? And, um, Let's read it after it happens. We can prove it. And a big one is all this confirms that I need to keep questioning pretty much everything. Because once a few things, your, your worldview gets burst, you really start wondering, what else do I not understand? And again, years ago, there was a, along this path, there was a guy in my singles group who was uh, kind of really gruff and mean in his presentation, and he irritated people. So he'd say to me, you know, hell's a made-up word. Uh, it's not a real word. Mm. And I, I said, oh. Well, I'm going to go home and prove him wrong. Of course he was right, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that was another one of those pillars that goes down, and you're like, what else am I getting wrong? And he also, next time he said, the rapture isn't real. And I was like, you got to be kidding me, you know. Made me mad, but I said, I'm going to go prove him wrong, and then there you go. So there's right. a long, it was yeah. a long path to get here, but I'm very happy to be here. Yeah. I'm happy you're here. Yes. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being willing to be on us, on the boroughs, you know. And, and normally we ask that last question, but we don't have to. She's already answered it. I can answer it. Why don't you ask then, Jerry? Bring it on, Jerry. The last question. Just annihilate it. Okay. Well, then I'll ask you. Where do you go whenever you die? And the way I would change this answer these days is that um, I feel like I've already been made fully right with God. It's done. I'm not waiting for another step. So I am, it's more um, my position with God is, has been made right. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't change whether my physical body is, I'm in my physical body, out of my physical body, it's eternal. It's like just across the board, it stays the same. Mm-hmm. So I'm very happy to learn. I know for sure I'm going to lose this body that hurts. I'm going to lose this mind that causes me pain. But my position before God is already been made right, and it's going to just transcend my physical death. Yes. What exactly I'm going to look like, how old I'm going to be. I mean, all that, I, I don't know any of that. I just yeah. know I trust my sovereign God that it will be good, and I'm already kind of there, you know. Yeah, yeah. doesn't Paul says that we will be like him. Like him. Like him. The only mirror will be him. That's something. Wow. And my kids already are whatever that is. They'll be waiting on you. You're like, people are like, how old are they? I mean, like, I, you know, I don't know that that's Doesn't really, matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah. So a lot of that I can let go. Before it drove me crazy. Yeah. What are they doing? How old are they? How old are they going to be? Will they recognize me? And then finally, I'm like, they're right with God. I get it. And um, yeah, it just brings. It makes me. It brings. <laughs> they were talking last week at my singles group about our future hope, and I told my friend, my hope is in the past. It's already happened. My hope is already in something that's happened. And he was like, what? But, you know. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. It's, it's a slow process to share this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you. Yeah, it means a lot. And thanks again to Brian Bible Church for allowing us yes. to be here, Pastor Curtis and all thank of you, these. sir. Yeah, thanks so much. And um, yeah, thanks so much. That was wild, wasn't yes, it? Yes, it was. Uh, that part, whenever I said that I was shocked. Yeah. I was. And the th- here's the thing. I was already told, I was warned. Prior to, I knew what I was getting into when I was doing this interview. But to sit and talk to her after getting to know her, yeah, and how cool she is. She's yeah. such a she has such a sweetheart, and she's so funny, um, quirky. I really like her. It's hard not to get over emotional when you sit and listen to somebody talk about it. And then when she, you know, when she talked about, you know, what her husband, how her husband had 
you know, murdered her children. Man, I, you want to sympathize, but you just— That is an entire sentence. It yeah. is. And uh, we weren't— That's more than the sentence. Yeah, even, even hearing that from her mouth, just it, it shook me. Hmm. And uh, yeah, it was very emotional. I know the pe- the people at Brian in the you know in the auditorium were tearing up, and I mean it was a thing. But the end of it, where she talks about her faith, um, and the struggle with how he was a believer and she was a believer, and he was dealing with mental illness, and and um, how she you know she was a a doctor. You yep. know what I mean? Oh, yeah. A doctor. I went to William and Mary. I mean, she was. I mean, you're as a doctor, you you've taken on that note to help other people. Yes. And then you're like stranded because you can't help yourself. Yep. And and you can't help your husband. Yeah. Because I mean, your life is to help other people, but you're like in a moment where right. you just can't do it. Yeah. It's like I mean, you, it's like total abandonment in that moment. Yeah. And so anyway, but. I'm so thankful that yes. Dr. Amy Castillo was willing to be on our program. I mean, the love of Christ just conquers it. Yeah, and she she told me, you know, look, hey, this is the first time I've really given a testimony since I've become a preterist, and so all my friends and family are going to hear it, and it's they're not going to be— <laughs> Well, I mean, it, it, for the but listener— she talks it, about how it helped her, what yes, it did for her. It's hard to, from a listener standpoint, we're, we're trying to be— uh, not disrespectful in any way to her, um, the events that happened through her testimony, but um, the part you don't see is how excited she was yeah. to to give out a testimony mm-hmm. as a part of the whole process. Yeah, that you know, there's still joy there despite the the part of tragedy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I hope you guys uh, listened to it well, and um, I hope it meant something to you. And if you will, share it. Oh, yeah. Share Absolutely. it with others if you know somebody that is dealing with grief or is having a, a, something that is as traumatic or as shocking as that. Sometimes it's nice to hear how other people have gone through that. Oh, it's and so nice to know you're not alone. Not alone in that, yeah. Well, Billy, thanks for being here. Oh, yeah. Big Daddy. Oh, yeah. Ralph, thanks for being here. Represent. Andy, Sarita. It's me. Andy, Andy. <laughs> thanks for being here, Sarita. You betcha. Yep, thanks so much. So we will talk to you guys again next time on the Burrows of Berea. Peace out. Later. Hey, guys, this is Rick from the Burrows of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burrows of Berea. You'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.